Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Yes Men podcast. I'm Doug Williams. Usually at this point in the podcast, you hear Lou DiPietro's sweet voice, but uh, he's not here today. He's on vacation. Can't blame him. I'm on vacation tomorrow. That's why this is coming to you on a Tuesday afternoon instead of a Wednesday. Um, thank you so much for listening. If you are listening, you're obviously either listening on yesnetwork.com or iTunes. And if you're listening for the first time, you can find our podcast on iTunes. You can subscribe to it. it goes to your phone. You can download it. You can rate and review us too. That helps us out. Or you can keep listening on yesnetwork.com, which helps us out as well. We're happy to have you listening. Uh, today it is just me. I know that we said last week we were going to have uh, Bob Lorenz on with us and we were hoping to have him on. But, uh, you know, the Yankee game got rained out tonight and Bob does pre and post game for the studio. And with the game rained out, he he wasn't going to come in. So unfortunately, it's just going to be me, guys. But we have some interesting things to talk about. And the, the, the first thing I want to talk about is uh, Tony Stewart. And I know that You know, we tend to have Yankee fans, Yankee listeners, maybe some Brooklyn Nets listeners, general sports fans um, that listen to this show. And a lot of you may not be big into stock car racing or NASCAR or whatever it may be. Quick, you know, tidbit about myself. I grew up on NASCAR and um, it was because my father, big time NASCAR fan, and um, he got me into it early. Uh, Short tracks were what I grew up on and Lime Rock and the Waterford Speed Bowl in, up in upstate Connecticut uh, was one of my main spots. I used to just go as a kid and, and watch short track racing. It's a terrific family affair. It really is. Um, it's a small town thing a lot of the time. You go and you go with your family. And it's just a really nice thing, especially in the summertime. It's a good way to spend a Saturday night. And it's a good way to feel like you're a part of something. Uh, feel like you're a part of a neighborhood. And, you know, obviously my fandom grew. And I re- I'll never forget it. I went to the, you know, the gift shop at one of the, I think it was Waterford Speed Bowl, and I got, you know, I saw Dale Earnhardt's car, and I just fell in love with the paint scheme and the number three, and and um, as soon as I started watching NASCAR, I fell in love with the way he drove and everything about him. And for those of you who aren't NASCAR fans, I always tell people the same two things that you have to do to become one, and they're pretty simple. You have to... Learn to love a driver, love him off the track and on, love the way he drives, and you, you, you're uh, attached to every race because you're rooting for one guy going around the track. It's not suddenly, it's not just 43 guys going around in circles. It's, you know, you're keeping your eye on one and rooting for him to get to the front or her with uh, Danica Patrick now in the uh, Sprint Cup Series. The second thing you have to do is go to a race. Um, it's, it's one of the best experiences in sports. And I really feel strongly about that. It is so much fun. Um, and, and it's exhilarating really. I mean, at, at, when they, when those cars start, you feel like your heart's pounding. You can feel the engines going, you know, coursing through your veins. It's really incredible. And, uh, by the way, before I go any further, it's so interesting that I'm leading off with this topic because Lou is not a NASCAR fan. And we've had this argument before, but he loves wrestling and I love NASCAR. And he, for some reason, thinks that those two are even comparable. Um, And he's not here to defend himself, so I won't go any further. But maybe uh, next week when when we're both back in our chairs, we can discuss further. But So the Tony Stewart thing, this relates back to what I was saying. Because short track racing is is exactly what he was doing. You know, he was racing in a sprint car at a dirt track. And a lot of people are confused as to why he would be doing that in the first place. 
And to be honest with you, it's for a few reasons. It's looked at almost as a charity. Um, when you when a guy like Tony Stewart goes to a short track, he brings fans and attention to this place that it would not normally have, and that's pretty obvious. It's, I think, uh, partly due to the fact that Tony Stewart is probably addicted to racing. He's not a family guy, doesn't have uh, kids, doesn't have a wife. He's mostly about racing. It's his life. And you can't blame him for that. And I think it's fun for him. Um, but Tony Stewart is a hothead. And that has been well documented. A lot of people who don't know much about NASCAR didn't know that until Saturday night. But it's true. He's been a hothead for a long time. He's a little older now. He's gotten a little better. But for the most part, he's been known. That's his reputation as a hothead. And he's had... A few incidents in short track racing in the past, of course, he had this terrible injury, I think it was last year, um, where he broke his leg in one of these small short track races. And NASCAR is furious about it and doesn't like the fact that he goes and does this. And why should they? Because he now can't race the, the main event of stock car racing, which is the Sunday NASCAR race, the Sunday Sprint Cup Series race. He no longer can participate in those because he gets hurt in a short track race, well, that seems a little uh, like his priorities are mixed up. Well, Tony Stewart still did it, and he went and did it this Saturday night. And a guy named Kevin Ward Jr., um, they rubbed up against each other, and, and Ward Jr. did not like the way that Tony Stewart was racing him. He thought he pressed him up against the wall. Uh, Ward Jr. got out of his car and pointed at Tony Stewart. Um, and that's when the controversy begins. People aren't sure if Tony Stewart, you know, stepped on the throttle, if he meant to hit him or hit him accidentally or, you know, tried to scare him and, and ended up hitting him, whatever it may be. Here's a few things that, look, I'm not a racing expert. I've just been watching racing for a lot of my life. I've never done it for, you know, I've never analyzed it for a living. But I'll tell you from my own experience why I feel as if I have a different perspective on this story than most. Short track racing has a different ethos than NASCAR or the Sprint Cup Series. Mostly because the guys that race in short track racing aren't wealthy. They don't have the money that Tony Stewart does. And for the most part, these races are how they make their living. And it's not a luxurious life. And so when you go to a short track race, once or twice per night, there are dust-ups. You know, guys get spun around by an aggressive younger driver or the other way around. It's a younger driver, and there's a 45-year-old guy who spins him out. And you can watch the cars go into the pits after the race, and they run at each other, and they get in each other's faces. And it's part of the... If you're a fan, it's part of what you love so much about short track racing. It's true competitiveness. I mean, in NASCAR, when you get spun out or you get in an accident, sometimes you, the guys are like, well, I'm not going to lose a ton of money here. I'm just going to keep running around the track. I might finish in 40th, but I'm going to rack up the points and rack up the money for finishing a race. That is not the case in short track racing. It's kind of a do-or-die mentality, and it is so competitive. So I've seen countless examples of what we saw on Saturday night. The only difference is I've never seen someone ran over and killed. The The fact that people are saying, well, he got out of the car. Who does that? You don't get out of the car. Well, I've seen that so many times, and nothing like this has ever happened. Um, so uh, from that perspective, 
I don't really buy the whole, well, Tony Stewart is, is without guilt or without blame because Kevin Ward Jr. got out of his car. No. Tony Stewart could have avoided him. Tony Stewart could have totally gone the other direction. He could have gone down to the bottom of the track. He could have not run Kevin Ward Jr. over with his car. It's that simple. I understand that sprint cars don't have much of a view and that short tracks for the most part, like this one in upstate New York, are very dimly lit. But the bottom line is that a a kid is dead and Tony Stewart ran him over with his car. You know, those are the black and white facts of this event. And what I don't want to hear is that Kevin Ward Jr. should not have gotten out of the car and he got what he deserved because that's just not true. Now, granted, from, you know, from the outside, if you were to say, well, he got out of his car, shouldn't he, you know, expect the possibility of being hit? Sure. But those people haven't seen it happen a thousand times. This happens so often. It's part of the competitive ethos of short track racing. It really is. I promise you it is not as rare as it looked in that footage. It looked like Kevin Ward Jr. was the hothead for getting out and pointing at him. But that's kind of the theatrics of short track racing. It's it's an experience that if you've never had it, you may not understand. So I don't know who really is to blame here. I wasn't in Tony Stewart's body, and nobody but Tony Stewart was, obviously. But the way that he handled it, as soon as it happened, with the tire and the GoPro camera and the fact that he said he was going to race at Watkins Glen, all of that stuff leaves me a little suspicious that Tony Stewart was somewhat malicious in this act. Because... I can't place the blame squarely on Kevin Ward Jr. There is some blame there to be had, but Tony Stewart's reputation comes first here. And he's never been a guy that we've expected the most level-headed decision-making out of. So why should we now? I think that ever since the news died down, people have been migrating over to Tony Stewart's camp and saying, well, the guy jumped out of his car. Maybe Tony Stewart, you know, now that he's withdrawn from the race, he feels bad about it, but it wasn't his fault. Obviously, he hit the guy, but he didn't mean to, etc. But don't let time dissuade you of, of what your initial reaction was to this video. And if you're like me, your initial reaction was, these two got in an accident. One guy was pointing at the other. Has Tony Stewart ever been a guy to turn the other cheek? No. So it came off to me at first like he meant to at least dust him, at least scare him, and he went too far. The facts, in my, in my opinion, say that this should be an issue that is looked at by law enforcement, by NASCAR officials, everybody. The easy way out would be to say, the guy shouldn't have gotten out of his car. Therefore, he's liable to get hit. He's on an active racetrack. Sure. But let's remember, Tony Stewart is not the kind of guy who's going to turn the other cheek and watch a guy point and disrespect him, a 20-year-old nonetheless, and just let it go. Let's use our brains here, guys. All right, that's my spiel on NASCAR. I'm sure... um, you know, I'm interested to think, you know, interested to see if my co-host Luda Petro will approve of me leading with that topic and, and maybe 
maybe he feels strongly about the story or maybe he, he doesn't care about it. I have a feeling that he has a very vocal opinion about it. That's just me, but we'll see. Um, another thing I wanted to get to is the New York Yankees. Uh, their game was just rained out for Tuesday. That's when we're taping right now. Um, it, you know, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens with this Orioles series. Today's game was rained out. I don't know uh, if a game has been rescheduled yet. Last time I heard that there hadn't been one. But it now, you know, the Yankees can only split this three-game set assuming that they play on Wednesday. They can only split it. Obviously, that, that would be a good thing for the Yankees because they'd win a game instead of lose one. But I think the Yankees went into this series hoping that they could sweep the O's and get back into the division race. And obviously, that's not the case. Uh, and there are a lot of issues with this Yankee team. And what's funny is there have been issues with the Yankee team all year long. But they've overcome them and found ways to win games. And right now, the number one issue has, has been well documented by everyone in the media. And if you're a Yankee fan, you know this very well, is their offense. And it's hard to look for blame here. Everyone knows that this is not Joe Girardi's fault. You don't hear a lot of people saying fire Joe Girardi, except for the people that just have had their Twitter accounts named hashtag fire Girardi for the past five years. But, you know, level-headed Yankee fans know that Joe Girardi is the reason that they're above 500 right now, right? So it's not one of those situations where a lot of times in sports a team's doing badly and you just fire the coach hope that somehow it changes things and, and you know pleases the fan base and you move forward. That won't happen here. The next best thing for Yankee fans right now, and the trend among Yankee fans, is fire Kevin Long, which is almost as ridiculous as firing Joe Girardi would be. I get it. I understand that you have a guy who's supposed to be teaching the hitters things and the hitters aren't doing well, so why wouldn't you blame that guy? But hitters have always you know, raved about the work they've done with Kevin Long. All Yankees that have you know, been underneath his, his teaching have really appreciated his work and, and thought that he did great things. Brian McCann this year had a terrible start to the year. He's been much better of late before he got the concussion. Why? Because Kevin Long told him he should eliminate the toe tap, and he did. Um, And people forget, you know, being a a hitting coach on a team like the Yankees is different than being a hitting coach on the Astros. When when a lot of the Astros come up, they're fresh talents. They have power and speed, but they don't know what to do with it. It's like a dog chasing its tail. Well, that's different from being Kevin Long. Carlos Beltran becomes a Yankee and knows exactly how to hit because he's a borderline Hall of Fame candidate already. You think Kevin Long's made a big difference in Ichiro's swing? Well, good luck with that. Derek Jeter, Mark Teixeira, you know, Brian McCann, it's, it's, it's almost a miracle that Kevin Long was able to change something that uh, dynamic in Brian McCann's swing, considering how much of a veteran he is. And the guys they just acquired, Chase Headley, Martin Prado, Stephen Drew, those guys have been hitting for, you know, eight to ten years, each one at the major league level. They're not going to change anytime soon. So... You can't fire Kevin Long for looking at all these, you know, veterans, borderline Hall of Famers, guys that have been in the league for 10 years and 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 not making them hit 300. That's not his fault. That's 10 to 20 years of experience. That's age. That's, 
good pitching. It's a mixture of things, but it's not Kevin Long's lack of ability to change their swings. It's just not in the cards with some guys. You give credit to both Long and McCann for the improvements there, but he can't do that to everybody. You know, Jacoby Ellsbury has been an all-star with his swing. Why would he change it? Why would he come to New York and totally dramatically change what he's, you know, doing at the plate? Kevin Long does not have control over the, you know, a major league baseball player's ego and and the guy's going to say, "Well, this has worked for me. Look, I have 350 home runs. Well, this has worked for me. Look, I'm a 310 career hitter." It's just do you I hope you guys understand what I'm saying. The Marlins and Astros hitters come up and are like, "Well, I did well last year, but I kind of mechanically have been getting away from this. Can you help me make sure that I maintain a level swing? Things like that. That's where a hitting coach earns his money. Kevin Long has less opportunities to earn his money because he has a more veteran lineup. It's hard for him to get his hands on guys and actually mold them. I'm not saying Kevin Long's not important to this team. I really think he is. But you have to look at his work in a more positive light than negative. And I understand that if you give him credit for the good things that happen, you have to give him credit for the bad things that happen as well. But let's examine some other things here. People are talking about Carlos Beltran and his inconsistency. Let's remember that he has bone spurs floating around in his elbow. He's also in his mid to late 30s, and uh, he's DHing exclusively for the first time in his career. Maybe that has something to do with it. Derek Jeter's been pretty good. Let's face it. For a 40-year-old shortstop, he's been pretty good. Jacoby Ellsbury's been pretty good. So has Brett Gardner. Brian McCann, Kevin Long, seems as if he's fixed him at the plate. So cross that one off the list. Mark Teixeira, is that Brian McCann's fault that he hasn't been able to stay healthy all year? No. (laughs) Steven Drew just got here. Chase Headley just got here. Martin Prado just got here. Neither of those guys has hit really all that well. But you can't blame Kevin Long yet. (laughs) I mean, it's unbelievable. Ichiro Suzuki makes hitting coaches cringe because he's running out of the batter's box in every pitch. You to blame Kevin Long for the fact that, you know, Ichiro Suzuki can't get 100 infield hits per year as he did earlier in his career because he slowed down a bit because he's also getting up there in age. I mean, who, name, you know, Yankee fans that want him fired, name one guy in this lineup who you think a hitting coach should really be able to fix or should have been able to fix this year. Each one of them has three or four other circumstances that would tell you exactly why he's not hitting. And none of them have anything to do with the Yankees hitting coach. So you need to – don't look at this as a whole. The Yankees are scoring two runs a game. Fire the hitting coach because that's the guy supposed to be teaching them how to hit. These aren't a bunch of 20-year-olds who don't know what they're doing. It's a tough situation. The Yankees just aren't scoring runs. And, and at the same time, we were thinking of them in a much more favorable light about a week ago. They were coming off a you know two out of three in Boston. I don't care – 
that they just you know traded Lackey and Lester and a few other guys. That offense is still potent, and winning games at Fenway Park is difficult. The Yankees won two out of three. Then they won three out of four against the Tigers. I also don't want to hear, well, the Tigers were struggling. Well, the Yankees were part of the reason why they started struggling. The Yankees were at the precipice of that struggling. So don't tell me that either. The Yankees were playing decent baseball. They've had a lot of guys step up and do really well in the rotation. And you know what? Their hitting is cold right now. That doesn't mean that it won't get warmer. And I do understand the fact that Joe Girardi is starting to get the question, the, the, the clear-cut question, is it possible that it's not a cold streak, it's not a hitting coach problem, it's not an example of circumstance, is it possible that this lineup just isn't going to get to that point? And Joe Girardi, you know, as he probably should say, is basically saying, no, we believe in our guys, we'll get out of this. And it's very possible that they will. It's just, it seems as if, their hot streaks, these hitters' hot streaks, don't all come at the same time. Jacoby Ellsbury's been on torrid streaks this year, but they don't coincide with Brett Gardner's. You know, Brian McCann has been hitting better of late. Then he goes on the seven-day concussion deal. Carlos Beltran's been hitting better of late, but no one else is hot. It's been a series of bad luck for the Yankees, but let's not forget, they are over 500 after losing David Phelps, Ivan Nova, CC Sabathia, Masahiro Tanaka. That's incredible. <laughs> I mean, that is increíble. little Spanish for you. How do you like that? All right. Let's talk about Pineda really quick. And then I'm going to let you guys go because, look... You might like me. That's probably why you're listening. You don't hate me or Lou. You like us. But over a half hour of just me talking with no callers, you know, it's not live radio. You don't want that. Let's be real. Anyway, Michael Pineda is in a really interesting situation. I wrote an article about this uh, on YesNetwork.com yesterday. Um, Maybe you guys will read it. Basically, my point was... Michael Pineda is in a very strange position and a position that he hasn't been in yet for the Yankees. Uh, In spring training this this March, people thought, well, he's going to fight out for the fifth starter position with David Phelps. That was his role on the team, five starter. And he's a very, we knew he was a very talented one at that, but that was his role. And he won the job. He had three great starts and then the, you know, Boston fiasco with the pine tar and then the shoulder injury. And he's been on the disabled list ever since. And now he's in a totally different position. A position that if he comes back and and throws three straight quality starts with the stuff he has, he may be the Yankees ace. And it it would lead you to think (laughs) that in spring training, if if in spring training Michael Pineda was was going out for the five-starter job, and now in August and September he's the Yankees ace, it would lead you to think, that he earned that promotion when really it's specifically the fact that, you know, injuries have had their way with the Yankees rotation. But it, at a certain point, it doesn't really matter. It's just, it's, I, I, the last line of my article is it's your move, Michael Pineda, because it is, you know, if he were to come back, like I said, throw three or four straight quality starts with the stuff he has, that will do great things for the Yankees. He'll join Kuroda and McCarthy at the top of the rotation. Not what the Yankees wanted going into the year, but it's half decent. Shane Green has pitched well. 
Chris Capuano's pitched pretty well. Tanaka may be coming back in September, and you theoretically go into the the playoffs in a five game series with a Tanaka. Pineda, Kuroda, and McCarthy four-man rotation. That's looking very far ahead, but that's what Michael Pineda can do for this team. Not only can he be an ace, but he can bring them closer to Tanaka, and Tanaka and Pineda can bring them closer to October. It's a stretch run. That's why they call it that. And they desperately need a guy in this staff who can carry them and be a stopper when they've lost two in a row. And so it's tough. You're asking Michael Pineda to come back from an injury and immediately be a Yankees ace. And if that works, great. Great. Good for the Yankees. They, they may have a better chance of getting into the playoffs. If it doesn't work and Michael Pineda feels another twinge somewhere on his body and it looks like he's hurt again, well, guess what? He'll be a question mark for the 2015 season again and rinse and repeat. And that's not what the Yankees want. That's not what Yankee fans probably want. But neither situation should really surprise any of you because Michael Pineda's got dynamic stuff, but he also hasn't pitched a full season since 2011. And that is a long time ago. 2011 is a long time ago. I mean, it must seem like that at this point. He was pitching for the Mariners, you know? He hasn't had any longevity, any long-term success with the Yankees. And and we keep, at the beginning of this season, I guess it made a little more sense to be like, well, he's looking to regain his 2011 form. It's getting to the point where we have to stop referencing that 2011 Michael Pineda because I don't even know if he exists anymore. This may be a different guy. This is a 25-year-old Michael Pineda, a guy who's dealt with a lot of adversity, and I'm sure he's benefited from some of it. But this is a new age for Michael Pineda. It's not his last chance. (laughs) Because an arm like that is going to be given a lot more chances, probably even in the Yankees organization, even if it doesn't work out this year. But this is a huge land of opportunity. I mean, acres of opportunity for Michael Pineda. And Yankees fans, you should hope that he realizes it and that he can stay healthy. Because he may be your biggest chance to get to Masahiro Tanaka to bridge that gap and get into the playoffs with a fighting chance to make a difference. All right, everybody, that's going to do it for the Yes Men podcast. Again, we are on iTunes, and it's free. You don't have to pay a thing. And it just downloads on your phone when you have Wi-Fi, when you you get home from your commute and you go into your apartment and suddenly you have that little red one in the corner of your podcast app. And guess who it is? It's me, and it's Lou, and we're talking sports, having a good time. Just, you know, play it while you're hanging out, and you'll enjoy yourself. So, again, that'll do it for the Yes Men podcast. Uh, we'll see you next week. Lou and I will both be back in our uh, our regular chairs, and, and we'll, I bet, be talking more Yankees, and we'll see where we are at that point. Have a good night, everybody.